No. It's enough. Even torturing you is boring. This is the small council. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Counts Radio. It's, uh, it's been a few weeks, and I uh, definitely apologize for that. Um, things have been a little hectic. Um, for those that don't already know, uh, me and my wife are expecting another little one. So um, that on top of uh, just a bunch of the kids getting sick, because we do have four already, uh, things have been a little crazy, um, among other things. So... Uh, again, I do apologize. Uh, so, but again, we're gonna get back into the swing of things. You know, at least one episode a week, if not, uh, try to do two for the next couple weeks to make up for the past couple. Um, gonna work with Cyrus and maybe even do another episode tonight. So stay tuned for that. Uh, also, have a bunch of uh, stuff to give away. Not uh, not for this episode. I want to try to make a a post or something so that way as many people can get in on it as possible. But uh, um, the last couple events I went to won uh, a handful of stuff, uh, a couple starters. So I think I have like six or seven starters uh, in my stash of things to give away uh, as well as a bunch of other stuff. So definitely stay tuned for all of that. Um, I do want to give uh, a small shout out to a couple events happening. Uh, let me just look up the details. Uh, one in particular is uh, our monthly event. Um, it's Mount Prospect, Illinois. Uh, we're starting to get a really big crowd. Uh, I think our we have like a messenger chat where we coordinate uh, meeting up, and we have about uh, I think it's like 30, 35 people in that chat. Uh, the problem we're facing though is finding a day where everyone can meet at the same time, but our monthly events are looking to be at least uh, 12 to 16 people on average now uh, going forward. Uh, so it's definitely, uh, if you're in the area or um, even just passing through the area, definitely keep that one in mind. Uh, we do it the second Saturday of every month. Um, for, uh, the store opens at 10, registration 1030, and we start round one at 11. And we go either three or four rounds. We'll never do four, more than four rounds. And to kind of keep it on that uh, on the same timetable, uh, if it's three rounds, we do two-hour rounds. Uh, if it's four rounds, we do 90-minute rounds, uh, just because there's a lot of people with uh, kind of time restraints that need to be out by no later than six. That and um, the Saturday nights get kind of hectic at our shop. Our shop's very, very popular with uh, just gaming in general. It's, it's. We actually have to like reserve our tables every single uh, week or month or however much in advance. So, um, so yeah. Uh, and then the pricing. Um, the cool thing about our shop is entry is just a $15 in-store purchase. So you buy anything in the shop for 15 bucks, and not only does that get you entry it still puts 10 bucks into the prize pool. So you're essentially getting your $15 item 
in a way you're getting it for five bucks because they're putting ten dollars in the prize pool. Uh, prizes are um, uh, the prize uh, credit is divvied based on attendance, um, usually first through third or something similar uh, similar to that. Uh, I do have a huge uh, prize pool of my own that I use to give out to other players. So if uh, last place, I always let pick a unit box of their choice um, from what I have. And then uh, I have a huge box of just tokens and sleeves and dice and a bunch of really cool stuff. And then on top of all of that, if you're a brand new player, uh, so by brand new, I mean like you've either never played before or you've played like two, three times and this is your first tournament and you really don't know what you're doing, we'll say. Uh, or even let's say you have a friend that fits that category. If you bring them, uh, you get put into a raffle uh, to win a starter half of your choice between Starks or Lannisters. Uh, and if you're the only one that shows up that's new that gets put in the raffle, you automatically win. So if you have a friend that's been on the fence or maybe even a friend that uh, can't really afford the game but you kind of want to get them into the hobby, bring them to uh, our local tournament, get them in, get them a, a free starter half. Uh, and then even let's even put it this way. If after everything's said and done, everyone enters and we already know that someone's going to automatically win it, and they need those models to enter the tournament, I'll give them the prize right up front. They won't have to wait to the end of the event. Um, and then on top of that, uh, like I said, if you get last place even, you could end up with a starter half and a unit box to round out your force, uh, and then you could keep coming back every month and just keep getting a, a unit box if you keep getting last place. So uh, keep all of that in mind um, if you're ever in the area. And then I encourage anyone else that has, uh, like, a local, just keep pushing. Um, you know, we started pretty strong at, like, 16 to 20 people pre-COVID, and COVID kind of devastated uh, our numbers. Uh, but, you know, things are really starting to look up, and a lot of people are uh, really, uh, you know, getting back into the – either getting back into the game or we're just getting a whole new crowd. But you really just have to be diligent uh, every week just be playing, um, you know, getting exposure out there. If you can, play at a shop, not your house. Uh, playing at your house is awesome, but uh, you don't get any exposure that way. Um, but if you're playing at a shop, you know, you can uh, have people walking by, and that's where a lot of our, our new people have come from, um, just walking by and they think it's cool. I explain how our tournaments are run, um, and then, you know, and then go from there. So uh, another shout-out uh, event I want to do, let me just look it up on um, Sunday Slaughter's uh, Discord. Anyone that is not uh, already on either the Small Council Radio or the Sunday Slaughter Discords, definitely go check those out. Um, you know, lots of conversations going on uh, and great places to get a lot of the, you know, new new uh, revealed units and just uh, a bunch of different topics. So we have a uh, event in uh, near Dallas, uh, Dallas, Oklahoma. Let's see. I might have to click into it to get the all the details. This one was, I think, just posted um, somewhat recently. It uh, looks like we do have Brett on. Hey, Brett. Hey, Dave. How's it going? It's going all right. Just trying to kill some time for our uh, ever-so-late uh, host here. 
Do we have our guest on? Yep, he is on. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hello, hello. Thank you. <laughs> so I am having a hard, hard time getting all the details for that event, but I will, uh, I'll try to find the details and then post it on our group page or our Discord. Uh, so just uh, keep, an, keep an eye out for that. Uh, just always kind of keep an eye out for some local events or even events that are within like a reasonable re- driving distance. Um, I think one of the problems that we have kind of in the States is that you know, we have all these little pockets of groups. I think if uh, if we could even just get like two or three people from each group and just have them travel to, you know, the ones that are within reason, uh, and then we all do that for each other, uh, our groups could really start to explode. So just keep all that in mind. Um, but with that said, um, you know, we can kind of get on with uh, with the show and the topic. Uh, Brett, I'm going to let you kind of take this one away because this was uh, Brett's idea, um, and I think you probably have, like, a, a more better grasp of the, the direction that you kind of want to go with, with this one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, essentially, we had a, a flurry of uh, events from our friends overseas. We had the Spanish Nationals, the French Nationals, the UK GT, and I think there was Poland Nationals in there as well. But at any rate, it's the season for Nationals. Um, and I brought Michael on because, well, first of all, I, I love Michael. I think everybody who's met him loved him. But I wanted to bring him on because I, I wanted to take a different approach. So completely dominated everything overseas. Like one event was five out of five of the top five of free folk. One was four out of the top five were free folk. One was six out of ten, top ten were free folk. And it's like, all right, we get it. Free folk are really good. Um, Obviously, you still have to play the game. I'm not going to take anything away from people that are playing free folk. You, You still have to play the game. I just think it's kind of common knowledge that playing with free folk, you are certainly playing with a very strong advantage. Um, You're generally like punching people who's got one hand tied behind their back. Um, I'm not excluding free folk, you know, to interview them and talk about this. I'm bringing on Michael because Michael is the top rated player in the world. And the cool thing about how Michael does that is Michael does not play Nightwatch. Michael does not play free folk. Michael does not play Martell. Michael plays Starks, Lannisters, and Greyjoys for the most part. Is that, is that about right? Those are your top three. Uh, I would say just Greyjoy and Leinster. So he's playing. I I didn't play that much Stark. He's he's playing the factions that are underpowered, and that that goes on TTS where he has the availability to play whatever he wants. But obviously, it translates to in person as well. He is a Greyjoy loyalist. Like if you've never seen Michael play, definitely go to a Discord, check out one of his games. Watching him play Greyjoys, you will swear that Greyjoys are overpowered. Like it's just, it's awesome to watch him pilot that army. He has such a good grasp of how to play them, how to win. His lists are really unique. They've got some really cool tech pieces, some really, some really awesome stuff that you're not seeing all the time. He loves Greyjoys with Victorian, for example. He runs Silent Men with Reek and Ramsey. Um, just some things that you're not seeing all of the time. And it's really cool to watch his positioning. Uh, he doesn't make mistakes. Very, very awesome. But with that said, 
let's uh, let's kind of go into that. Let's talk about. So first, you uh, you played Spanish nationals with uh, Greyjoys, correct? Yep, that's it. Go into it a little bit, I guess, in your own words, what it's like to be trying to contend with some of these juggernaut factions with a faction that, um, you know, not only do the A Song of Ice and Fire stats represent that they're relatively underpowered, but I think the common perception around the community is that, yeah, Greyjoys, they have a couple of nice things that they could use a little bit of help. Why don't you tell us what it's like playing Greyjoys into these juggernaut factions and how you're handling these matches and, and kind of what the mentality and game plan is with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, I mean, Greyjoys right now, they are they are not bad. I mean, they have cool units, but after all, if you check the stats, the abilities, the gameplay, the tactic deck, uh, you realize at high level that uh, your best units are neutral units. Especially... <laughs> Uh, Bolton Flamen. What a surprise, right? Uh, after that, uh, the best uh, Greyjoy units, if you want to compete against Freefall, Gun Watch, uh, and right now I think Martels, because I think Martel is going to be top three, for sure, you have to bring Bowman. Uh, I don't bore Bowman. I, I, uh, are uh, the best uh, Greyjoy unit. Just because they are four points and long range, you don't need anything else, and you have to build uh, around that to play against uh, Nightwatch and Free Folk. Uh, and then uh, underscore that one of the strengths of uh, Greyjoy is that they can reach eight, nine really good activations, because Greyjoys need to to have huge advantage with numbers than with quality because we don't have that much quality in our units or or, or tactic decks. Saying that, talking about uh, Spanish national, uh, we didn't allow Baramir in Spanish national because it was just the same week uh, he got released. Um, people try to get him uh, overseas or uh, in Poland, but at, at the and Martels were also released, but we didn't allow Baramir uh, get played, so that changed some people who wanted to play Baramir, of course. And well, the tournament was not that big because we didn't have much time to prepare, and I played against. Well, most of them I play uh, my final match between commas because I lost in the... It was uh, five rounds, but I play against the winner on the fourth round. And I play against Nightwatch with Coder Pike with double... Uh, double uh, with double Watch Captain, Coder Pike in Swordbros, Colhans, and Amon, Gilly, and Sam. Um, yeah, it was... a uh, a really fast game because he just go like a madman to get me and I got some bad rolls and he got pike aggression with sword of the darkness and he got two three good attacks and he just uh, almost he one shot my flamen with one attack so yeah I could not I cannot play against sixes <laughs> Brett, uh, Brett knows that but it was a a nice tournament. Uh, 
we make our, our in Spain we have a really good community and it's not that big as we, it should be but right now it, the game is starting to explode because the release of uh, House of the Dragon the TV series has helped us to uh, to grow the community and that's 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 awesome I don't know I maybe I talk too much if you want to ask me something <laughs> yeah ask me something yeah no, you- you're you're not talking too much at all, no. Um, and I think I'll just I'll just ask a question. And I I know Dave pilots Greyjoys a lot as well. Um, the two of you though have a very a vastly different uh, view on the faction and and how you play them and what you guys are fielding and, and things of this nature. But um, I guess just from me asking you for our listeners that might be struggling with Greyjoys. Um, like, I don't expect you to walk through every step of the game, but just in general, how are you getting over some of the hurdles? Now, I, I've picked up Greyjoys and tried to play them as well. They're they're not necessarily my style. And w- one thing that I noticed when I played them is the mm-hmm. deck. It, it's not it, it's true for every faction, right? You need cards in a certain order, but it seems like for most other factions, you can overcome that. When I played Greyjoys. I think I've talked so much trash about them that they just they're they're never gonna let me get a good card draw. It seems like I draw double iron price in round one. And yeah. I get you know, I get what is dead may never die in like round four after my after my units have died and it's too late to have an impact. So how are you navigating through that deck? Um if you're if you're not running Roderick N C U, what yeah what what I was going to yeah, I was going to talk about Roderick. I think Roderick is so good, but the Greyjoy has, has a problem. Uh, and every faction would love to have this problem. It's that our, uh, our uh, uh, main NCUs, they are really good. And if you want to play with three NCUs, which is what I would recommend, because I think Greyjoy are better with three NCUs, not two NCUs. Choose use its uh, possibility, but I think if you want to to have the better list, you need to play with three NCUs. And Roderick sometimes follows because you have to choose between uh, uh, Littlefinger, Roderick, uh, and Tristifer. And it's a really tough competition right now. But uh, Roderick solves the problem that if you have a bad mulligan, <laughs> yeah, you have to you has just Roderick Watt. Uh I mean, it depends. Uh, I always say that for people who are starting, um, that the the um, the good uh, how would I say this? Um, you should not be afraid to to ditch cards, to just discard. If you have like two, three cards that you know you will use in later rounds. But right now it's uh, getting your hand uh, useless. You should just discard and get uh, two, three more. I know it's hard. For example, it's not hard to discard double iron price at the first round, or or maybe. But it's hard to discard. If, imagine if you get double what is and may never die in the first round, or I don't know. Mm, we do not show the double what is and may never die. We do not show. It can happen. In this case, I would recommend to discard one what is the main ever die. It depends. Of course, it depends on the situation and, and the 
the faction you are playing against, but uh, every I think right, you can use Riding Call to get just a pillage. You can use Bless with Stone, Bless with Steel to remove weekends or tokens that they put you. Uh, I think the the worst card having the first round is Iron Price and what is the Emer never dies. But Greyjoy deck is I would say it's average mid mid tier. Mid tier, it, uh, we don't show it's great. Uh, what is the Emer never dies is good, really good. Uh, sometimes that we still we still is amazing. Sometimes is trash <laughs> and uh, what else uh, finger dance is great in bowman because the, the i think this is the best combo and the combo that makes great joy competitive in my opinion with bowman it's finger dance everybody knows who has played against a good great player bread itself that bowman four points with a finger dance in your flank or your rear you are you are dead you are probably dead and they they make you cry so many times. And that's why uh, I play with, uh, usually with two or three units of bowmen in my list. I, I know it sounds like a lot, but uh, if you want to compete at the highest level, you need to bring the best. And the best unit Greyjoy has is bowmen. So I don't know if that answers your question, but more or less it, the, those are my my tips and my my deck reviews. Yeah, I, I think it's a really nice it's a really nice in depth look from a obviously a very skilled player. Um, I'm kind of sucking up a little bit and singing your praises, but I, I really do I really do respect you as a player. I respect your resolve. Um, I love the fact that you continually play with a faction that you know, relatively underpowered in comparison to some of the things that you could play with, and you have sat at the top of the world rankings for a very long time. So, obviously, you're you're skilled if you're doing that with dominating the meta. Um, Dave, you're you're a great joy player as well. Is there is there anything you want to pick his brain about, like um, some things, maybe some tips that you could use? I, I know you do pretty well with great joy, so you might not necessarily be fishing for advice, but. So something maybe that I had, had missed for the listeners, you know, if, if they want to try to take Greyjoys on, something that you and Michael could discuss? Yeah. So I think uh, what you kind of brought up earlier, Brett, about, you know, our play styles being a bit different, I think that's important to note with Greyjoys because um, I find that Greyjoys, uh, though they don't have an answer to everything, uh, you can kind of really make Greyjoys your own. So I think where Greyjoys kind of shine right now, uh, and I wouldn't say maybe more so than any other faction in particular, but uh, just for me, is I'm able to find what uh, you know what really works best with my playstyle. So I'm. I'm able to kind of make a list that almost like perfectly describes me as a player with Greyjoys. Um, and I've mentioned it before on the show, but basically that play style is super aggressive. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. Uh, super aggressive while supplementing defense through other means. Uh, and that in this case, uh, or in Greyjoys' case, that other means is healing. So... 
I can be super aggressive and not have to worry about the fact that my armor saves a five and most of my morale is a five or six or whatever the case may be, or sometimes an eight with the bowman. Because um, I know that uh, if I'm hitting hard enough, that is a defense in a way because my opponent is losing uh, attack dice, they're losing charge bonuses um, and other means. Uh, and and much like your list, uh, I actually, you know, so my main list is Victarian and Reavers, three more Reavers and two Bowmen. And then I run uh, Eric, Wendemir, and, uh, and Roderick. The only, and Roderick, I agree with you. I think Roderick is amazing, but he is in that tough spot. My only exception for Roderick is with Victarion. I feel like some of Victarion cards are really key to have right away. You, but you yes, need to play 100% I, with, yeah, with Roderick, sorry. Yep. So most of my other lists don't, don't usually uh, have Roderick in there because, like you said, he just kind of... He's la- uh, you know, some of the even though he's like a really good NCU, there's just all these other great ones. But in this list particular, that fits like my play style. And I'm not trying to say like this list is the best list. I'm saying the reason I do so well with the list is because it it's like a perfect example of what I know all the ins and outs of um, being able you know. And again, like Eric, Eric. Uh, a lot of Greyjoy players can do really well without Eric. Um, my list in particular requires Eric because of all of my Reavers. I really need some of them to be hitting on threes off the bat, whereas if I just have an entire offensive force hitting on fours, I'm not going to gain that momentum, that steam I need. Whereas, like you were saying, you know, you could run Peter or, uh, you know, Blind Baron, or, uh, you know, there's a, a handful of other options that would possibly be better than Eric. But, uh, but like, I think that's, you know, where Greyjoys really shine is that you can really make them to kind of fit your personality. Um, you know, whether it be, like, a lot of defensive stuff, a lot of, uh, whether it be armor with Iron Makers or... Uh, defensive with morale, um, you know, with silenced men and uh, Asha uh, attachment and a bunch of other things. So, um, you know, unfortunately, Martells have always been my my one true love that I've been waiting for <laughs> since day one. But Greyjoys are definitely still my second uh, faction at the moment. Um, just because, so Martell's because of the Red Viper and the lore and just the story behind them. Greyjoy is because of their play style. That that is kind of how the factions fall for me. Um, but yeah, I've done uh, fairly well with Greyjoys as well. So I'm happy to see that you're able to pilot them and really make them shine um, because I think they're definitely not given the credit they're deserved. Um, granted, they need key things to kind of really be in that competitive level. Like, it's not like everything in Greyjoys is just amazing. There are certain things you kind of have to capitalize on, like Wendemir and um, and uh, the Bowman with uh, um, uh, finger dance. Finger dance. Um, yep. Yeah. So, 
there are certain like things that you need to kind of pull off like certain combos. But with that said, I still think that Greyjoys are again not given the credit they're deserved. So I'm definitely glad when you know someone does well with them, kind of proves some people wrong, and uh, and surprise some people because that's kind of the reaction that I've gotten um, playing them especially having six combat units on the field and three NCUs. Um, people are like, what in the world is this free folk? Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, so I'll leave it there. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely uh, happy for you and uh, can't wait to see what else you, you do with them. So going back kind of, you know, the initial topic here. Um, so you're playing Greyjoys. You know, like, obviously with skill level, no match is unwinnable, right? You, you've proven that. It's proven all of the time. You have um, even, even the guy that I was intending to bring on, Tom Tyler, does really, really well with neutrals. So obviously skill level makes a big difference. But you, you're going into these events. You know that you're going to be playing these uh, juggernaut kind of armies. You know that you're going to be playing these lists. Um, you know, how do you prepare for that? What you've got, you've got so many things that are powerful, right? It can be really difficult to kind of check for those lists. Do you find yourself specifically teching for, let's say, you know, do you specifically tech for free folk? Um, do you specifically tech for like Night's Watch and the John Hunters? Or do you find something that's kind of in the middle can, can work well for both? Or do you go all in to tech for what you think is going to be the hardest match to overcome? Uh, I think this is a question a lot of people have when it comes to list building for the pairs. You know, um, do you do one list offensive, one list defensive, one list is more mobile, one list has ranked, one doesn't? How are you approaching the two lists, knowing, of course, in a competitive environment you're going to see some some really, really strong lists? Yep. I well for the nationals uh, tournaments I always I always make my list to pair against uh, free folk. And I watch uh, John specifically and uh, Targaryen Drogos. I think those are the the three commanders and three factions the strongest and the, the most used between commas because there are a lot of variations but I'm not worried uh, that much against variation maybe I should because they have uh, the uh, Jack and Melisandre Rus casino list that it's really really popular but I think you can solve that with, with Sasha because Sasha gives you the 5 plus morale in area so that's why I I bring Asha as my all-round commander. Asha can play against everyone. And my second commander choice is Euron. I play. I choose Euron to play against Free Folk and the Caldrogo matchup uh, specifically against Free Folk because I can steal Endless Horde and play Endless Horde by myself. And I think Euron has so Discord, which is an amazing ability. Combined with uh, Silence Men, uh, Pillage Ability plus Intimidating Presence, you can have minus three, minus four with Panic Checks and so Discords, and you can try to to 
silence or blank uh, months. And uh, against Drogo, the, I'm bringing uh, Euron for so Discord because you can with if Drogo is in in uh, in Playman, he has six more, six plus morale, which is not getting increased by Iron Resolve because Iron Resolve is panic checks. And uh, you, I have Asha attachment one point, uh, so I can Warcry and use uh, Show Discord to try to to make Drogo lose all abilities. And that's if it happened once, it can be ga game already. And uh, the card uh, that it's in Martel base deck, which is outrageous, uh, can employ. That gives me the the mobility. Uh, to surprise uh, cavalry release, like it's Drogo with Flamen or Blood Riders and Veterans. So you can catch them off guards because you are playing with eight, nine activations. My last list with Jeron was nine activations. So you can just use one Bowman activation and move your Silence Men, your Bowman in a good position, or even Asha with Trappers to get an objective, or charge someone, use the Disrupt, use the the trapper's tools, uh, trapper's ability that to put weakened and vulnerable, and that plus the nine activations just make you uh, win the game at the end. And of course, you have I have in both lists Baron, which I think it's you should always play with Baron. I mean, not always, uh, but if Baron is just too good to to be left out in your list. And yeah, uh, normally I use, uh, as I said, uh, I think I play most of my game with Asha because as I said, Asha is my all-rounder list. Asha with Trappers, three Bowmen, one of them with Victorian attachment with Relentless, Flayedman, uh, Peron, Wendamir, and uh, this can be a variation, Tristifer or Littlefinger. I choose Littlefinger because I play Tristifer with Euron. I think Littlefinger is more flexible. Um, I'm playing with Asha in uh, missions like Darkwing, Star Wars, or uh, Winds of Winter, and you can use Littlefinger uh, better than than, uh, than with Euron. Uh, and yeah, that's it. Uh, the list has... It's just uh, try to abuse... Uh, your three bowmen with finger dance, uh, hold the line, not the ability, <laughs> hold the line as much as you can, try to to get a shangage because you can shoot in combat, uh, get goons, uh, pass panic check and uh, make more goons with stubborn tenacity, that's one combo, and flamen with uh, greyjoy are the not the only faction that can get flamen with nine activations, I think the start can do that but nine activations with Flamen uh, uh, make you able to uh, do the last uh, last activation Flamen and start our next round short with Flamen. So that's two attacks with Flamen and not many units can withstand double attack with Flamen, as we all know. And that's the the, the two list I I make against especially Freefall Mans. Carl uh, Drogo Targaryens and John Hunters.
I, I think it makes sense. I think Asha is universally good. Um, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I, I think her cars seem maybe a little bit underwhelming at first glance, right? Because they're it, her three cards are actually all card versions of abilities that exist elsewhere. So uh, Ironborn Metal is the same as Bravery in the Face of Death, which is what Eddard NCU brings. Um, Raider Bravery is the same as Boldness and Courage. Not the worst. And then, and then Warcry is Warcry, right? Uh, yeah. With a, actually a more difficult trigger. Um, but she does bring the five plus to whatever unit she's in. And then she's got the rally point as well. And of course you can always stick Carl in her unit. Um, and you just pay the one point for Carl. So you can run the trappers with Asha commander and bring Carl into that unit to give them a little bit more of a threat, a little bit more offensive potential. And you're only paying five points for it versus six. If you bring, um, Asha's attachment, but I, I think stubborn tenacity is really strong. And I, I see with three bowmen, um, I'm assuming that you're doing a, a really nice job of sticking her in and firing into that combat just to do those auto wounds, which was going to be a question that I was going to ask because I know as a Greyjoy player my, myself, the times that I've played them, and I think some of our other Greyjoy players who are listening will probably struggle a lot with Baratheon. Uh, you mentioned the casino filled with Jockin, but it's additionally, you know, champions of the stag are tough. And yeah. I don't think that Greyjoys in any way, shape, or form have anything that can face check them and, and hang with them. I've heard a lot of guys say, you know, they're, they throw a unit into them like trappers and just do their best to hold them off for two or three rounds, and that's the best they can do. I know that you are capable of killing champions of the stag as well. So I think a lot of that comes to do with your, um, your, some of your expert positioning, getting those bows into the flank and preferably firing into a combat with Asha. Is that, is that kind of your tool that you use to get through Baratheons is, uh, bows doing a little bit of chip damage and then Asha adding that extra wound as well with stubborn tenacity? Yeah. You, you just need to, depends on the mission, but you need to get faster uh, to the objective. And I think you can do that with Wendamir and Horses, uh, Tactics on. And uh, you have to use your activation advantage and your range. They have low mobility, so you can at least get one of your own in, your, in their flank. Try to engage Asha with Veron. Try to hold uh, the unit with Veron and then start shooting and use uh, bowmen with fingers and playmen because you have a unit of playmen that they can finish off units, even champion of the stack. If you got a Warcry or uh, Vulnerables, you can kill maybe champions in three, two or three attacks, maybe four, if they have cards and you and they have killing cards. That's the... the I think that's the main counter against champion of the stack because I think because sometimes if you're playing against uh, Queensmen I don't think you should attack Queensmen once but uh, you can just uh, get fast and first to the objective and do not let them uh, score and just kill anything else and try to get to 10 BPs you ca you should not play against uh, Baratheon to to table them or 
to try to kill as much as possible because uh, somehow they they survive and then they will hit you even harder with final strike, with a uh, tactical approach, uh, with uh, bath and conviction, they can heal, they can produce so many tokens. Uh, I mean, it's almost impossible to to kill them in two or three attacks. So do not get uh, trapped by that. And yeah, Casino List is just dice. If you roll good, you will survive. If you start failing panic checks on 7+, plus, you are going to, to lose heart. Nothing else you can do. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's kind of unfortunate with that uh, with that type of build. It, it tends to be – it's similar to what the old stone thrower was when it did D6 wounds plus one wound for each rank where you could literally mathematically one-shot a unit with a good shot. It's just one of those situations where it's feel bad for someone. Now, I'm not going to sit and dunk on the Melisandre design. I actually like it to some extent. I like that it holds some four morale armies in check. Um, some people view it as, hey, I, I feel like I'm obligated to run something with high morale just to deal with this, and I don't like it. But on the flip side of that, um, with activation advantage being what it is in the game, I like that there is something that can kind of hold some of those uh, low morale, cheap units in check, and, and they're not just able to plug them into every list at will because there are things that can take them out. So I think it's a little bit important for the game balance to have that. But having said that, it certainly is kind of a feels-bad situation when you, you build your army for high morale and you still have some bad luck and you fail those panic tests anyway, and, and then you're really sad. And on the flip side of that, you know, you invest 10 points in Mel Jock and Combo, and maybe it doesn't work out for you, so then you're sad. But I think Baratheons, have things that they can do with Melisandre. They can kind of build and force their own synergies by bringing Melisandre. Um, you know, you're able to trigger your own panic tests for Baratheon Conviction. You can trigger your own panic tests for that super nasty Axel Commander card um, that deals you as many wounds as you would have taken. Um, I've seen that yeah. one paired with Intimidating Presence to be a devastating... Axel, yeah, uh, Axel's on fallen out of popularity. I don't see him very often anymore, but I think he's a real bruiser, actually. Uh, quite a solid commander. Um, Dave, you you live in a meta where you have Spencer, who is a Baratheon loyalist. Uh, do you want to add anything to what Michael has said? Do you largely agree with what he's saying? Um, any takes from your side? Because I know you're having to take your Greyjoys into his Baratheons, and he definitely love champions of the stag and i think he still runs axel commander actually so you have to deal with some of those really nasty uh self-triggering panic tests that really punish you yeah as a uh even with my play style of being super aggressive um you know i had at one point um three reavers in a champions of the stag uh two in the flanks one in the front and even with extra attacks, I still couldn't kill the thing. Um, it it was just ridiculous uh, how survivable that unit was uh, for something that's hitting on twos or threes with sundering flank. Um, you know, there's just too many ways to heal them. 
uh, with glory seekers and uh, and Brathene conviction. Um, it was it was a nightmare. So uh, I ha- <clears throat> excuse me. I have to admit I still don't really have an answer for it um, that has worked for me. Uh, <laughs> I actually moved over to Free Folk for that one tournament or the tournament immediately after that and my answer for that one was you know uh walrus chieftains and raiders and then just tie them up for the whole game because you know they can't eat through a a resilience unit that gives up no points um but uh but yeah i would say they are on the slower end for cavalry but i mean don't let that fool you i mean it is still like a, a more mobile six-move infantry unit. Um, so I would say it's hard to really say that there's any true answer to a Champions of the Stack because they have the offensive capabilities to eat through units, um, especially at their point cost. You know, they're they're just really good. Um, especially if you can't eat through them. I mean, you may be able to slow them down. I think that's possibly the best uh, best thing to do, slow them down the best way you can, get to the objectives first. As far as, like, Axel, um, I think I've mentioned on here before, but some of the retribution effects is a little much. I've had it before where I charged my opponent with a full health unit, and I died, like, and he ended with only, like, two wounds gone um, because uh, final strike uh, for, like, it was, uh, like, six. Um, He uh, then played Conviction. I had to take a panic test. I took three, and then he, or, or, before the conviction, I think he played the Axel card where if he passes panic, I take three wounds. So I literally took six from Final Strike, three from Axel, three from a failed uh, conviction <laughs> panic test. It it was not very fun to have a full health unit die from me charging something. <laughs> um, no. Now you might say that, oh, well, that's a lot of effects and, you know, just bad luck. But, I mean... Yeah, it, it's sort of, but I mean, I don't know. I've played Baratheons here and there whenever my opponent or whenever my friends that I know play Baratheons aren't really going to be there because I like to play a little bit of everything. And, you know, you can kind of wait for a lot of those combos to kind of just fall into your hand. Not only that, um, he didn't even have to, granted he was full health, so he couldn't, but he he could have still stacked the faithful because it was a unit of uh, relore faithful he could have still then also stacked auto hits from the faithful token if he needed to it's a little a little nutty that all these retribution effects don't uh conflict with each other yeah i think it's um circles back to a topic that kind of comes up when when you discuss this game. And I, I think it's maybe a little bit of a balancing juggling act. And, you know, it's 
I, I feel for the developers because they're they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't, right? So uh, going into the end of 1.6, everyone was sick and tired of the game being about one shot. Everyone was sick and tired of the, the alpha strike, the start of round, double tap, you know, the first turn, last turn kind of action. Then things start to snowball for you. So uh, people didn't like that blackguard were almost no effect. Uh, Lannister supremacy was relatively easy to ignore, uh, things like this. And so then they created some of these retribution things. They, they buffed, you know, the punishment for uh, making an alpha strike, the punishment for being engaged, some of these things. And they buffed those up, and then now now people hate that. So it's, it's difficult, and, you know, that, that's not the topic of the day. But I just think it's, some of that is just war games, right? We're we're not going to be happy no matter what happens. If they debuff some of the retribution, then it just goes back to uh, let me build the best, hardest-hitting melee army that I can build with enough activations to leverage so I can get in and kill things, um, and then people are going to be unhappy about that. There's no real winning. Um, thankfully, every faction now has access to range. Um, I think everyone has their own house range units as well, not just Stormcrow Archers or Golden Company Crossbowmen. There's a lot of range across the game. I think you can balance some of those ranged units to deal with those units because, yeah, being being perfectly frank, they're not super popular in the meta, but they are good and, and the Relore Faithful. If, if, you're, if your hope is to deal with Relore Faithful by getting rid of them with melee and no supporting ranged attacks, no supporting auto hits from hidden traps, like, yeah, you're just going to lose that match. Um, you cannot face check Raylor Faithful normally and come out of that on top. Um, that's just the, that's just what they're designed to do. And I think they're fair in their own right because they do melt so quickly to ranged attacks. It's one of those things that's frustrating, but it's just, it's just there. And you've got to deal with it. So... Um, with that said, I think we've, <laughs> I wanted to make this show not, not about bashing any particular factions. And, and I feel like we're dunking a little bit on the Baratheon guys right now. So, um, I think we can, uh, move on and go back to the topic of some of these nationals. So Michael, without, again, without dunking too much on free folk, I think it's pretty well known right now across the board that free folk are, you know, a little bit too strong. And we're hoping that we see a patch in the near future that adjusts their power level to where they're not so oppressive, but still competitive. Um, but with that said, you as a very competitive player, as a very strong, uh, strong player and a meta leader, were you a little bit surprised by just how oppressive the free folk were? Like just, how strong they finished across the board, or was that something that you kind of came to expect? Because I think overall, across those European nationals, Mance maintained nearly 80% win rate. Uh, Free Folk were close to 70% across all of these events. And I think once you removed the mirror matches from those top finishers, I think there was one single loss for free folk that wasn't into another free folk. So I think they were 
something like 97, 98% win rate against other factions. So what, what's your take on that from, from looking at, at that as a, as a competitive player and a, a regional leader? I mean, we, we all know that we all knew that we are going to face Mansur Amir, as I call him, Mans with Baramir. I think without Baramir, Mans was really strong. But with uh, Baramir added to the roster, to the roster, I think that breaks the the line where where it's just too too good. You could compete against Mans without Baramir. He was still really strong, but with the addition of Baramir, it's just too much. They have no weaknesses. The, every unit is cost-efficient, cheap, uh, survivable. You have zone control. You have mag, uh, movement control. You have uh, auto-hits. You have uh, movement with chariots. You have Wargray on 3+. Or auto warcry with uh, weirwood. Um, you have counter strategy with months. Uh, you have uh, ten activations. Uh, you have the possibility to bring two more with underscore. You have the best damage card in the game, which is there's too many. I mean, there is and the list goes and goes and goes on. So yeah, I mean, uh, when I went to the nationals and uh, I knew, I know I knew that I w- was going if I want to win I have to play against months with football with months and yeah that's why I I make my list uh, thinking about them but at the end of the day the list is the best list you can get and the player are the best players uh, one of the best players in the world there's little chance I I could do something. I could not play with my Greyjoys in um, in London uh, GT because they uh, didn't allow to use boxes that they have not been released in uh, United Kingdom. Baramir was released, but not uh, Greyjoy Hero Box Two. I cannot I I cannot understand that, but that's how it is. And I played with um, with Lannister. And I lost. Uh, I won every game, even playing against the, one of the best two Targaryens in the world, which is Jasper, Italian Jasper, and Chavalou from France. But I lost against Sir Jacob and Mickey with three folk. That were my only two losses, and I could barely do anything uh, with Lannister, uh, with Kevin, which I think is the best uh, Lannister commander right now. And yeah, I mean. Right now, if you go to play a big tournament, big competitive tournament, you if you are not playing with months, you are going to face months. If you want, if you want to, or you you want to be in top tables, you are going to face months uh, later or sooner. And yeah, it's an uphill battle that that sometimes it's really frustrating. I mean, I I know, and I have to deal with it. I try to to beat them as much as I can. But even being a good player, you always are. You always have like uh, right now. I think it's seventy seventy five percent 
winning chance for for free folk uh, in every matchup. I I only think it's 50-50. Well, it depends on the list, but if they are the same list, I think it's around 50% uh, free folk mirror. I do not think there's a an obvious counter outside of free folk uh, against uh, man's free folk. So that's how the the meta it is right now. So yeah, that's why uh, we are all waiting and um, we're waiting for the new balance patch. We hope it comes sooner than later. And especially for not for non free for players, I think free for players are are also uh, are also waiting for balance patch because they are always playing the same and they are. Uh, always, you know, being the 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 uh, they are always being blamed by by playing his faction, which some people is a uh, a loyal freefall from the beginning, and that kind of feels bad because I know how they can feel, and it's the same if when the balance patch com- comes. Comes and uh, maybe Nightwatch or Imagine Martels that they are brand new. Uh, they become really, really strong. Uh, borderline, there's not, there's no say the, the OP word. But uh, yeah, people, uh, you should not, people should not be uh, ashamed to to play their faction. That's all, all I want to say. They, uh, people know what's the strongest faction, and you have to deal with it. Um, it was the same with Othel uh, Crossbows, uh, but I think Othel Crossbow was a little bit more oppressive than Isman's now, and has less counterplay. But either way, I think it's kind of the same. I, as you have said in many podcasts, uh, right now the game is uh, the this is the best version we had uh, about the game. But there are some things that we should tweak to get even more balance uh, between factions and and that's where we are waiting for. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's nearly something that, that would be difficult to debate, right? Um, as far as the state of the game, you, you can remove, if you remove Man, um, maybe even if you remove Varamir, and you they they just play any other free folk commander, and then if you if you want, I think that I think that the John Ranger hunters are still pretty good. I don't know that they're so strong that you have to ask for your opponent not to play them. But if you remove what's clearly the very top, you actually find the game very interesting, and you find that. You know, it comes down to skill. It comes down to plays that are made. It comes down to how well you played. The, by removing the very top thing from the game, you get a game. And, and I, it's not just that, okay, well, Mance isn't winning, but it, it goes into the list building, right? If you, if you don't even have to try to build a list to counter Mance and you're just able to open your mind to some of the other things that you want to explore and you don't have to say, well, this is completely invalid because Mance is just going to destroy this. So it's not even something I want to mess with. I think the game is in such a good spot that those games are entertaining. They're very interesting. They're generally really close. 
and it's it's very exciting to watch. So um, the state of the game is actually in a very good spot, but you just have to remove the very very high performing things, and then and then you find that hey, this you know towards the middle and bottom, this game is in a really great spot. Uh, it's still even with man considered, in my opinion, it's still by far the most balanced war game that you can play. Um, I do tend to dunk on Warhammer, but that's okay because I played Warhammer and I spent a lot of money playing it. Even with man, this is nowhere near like as hopeless as as Warhammer matches were. You know, you're playing Tomb Kings in Warhammer and you you, you go up against dwarves or you go up against high elves with constant rerolls and eleven million ways to shoot you down. Like those those games are even more hopeless. They can be lost literally in turn one. You know, a good an inch from the back dwarf cannon shot and a, a chain panic, and, and there goes the game, you know, if you're playing Beastmen or something. Um, this game is by far the best from the competitive side. You're, you, you, you generally always have a chance. And even against Mance, if you're playing someone that's not, like, the level of some of these guys that have practiced these lists and played them, um, you still have a chance to overcome, you know, a normal man's player. Um, but at the very least, it's not as miserable as, as some of the experiences in other war games where you have things at the top that are so unbalanced. It's just not even a fun experience to play. What about you, Dave? You've been a little bit quiet. Um, Anything else that you want to add, like, um, as far as Freefold goes, again, without, you know, beating that dead horse, um, were you a little bit surprised? I know that you you play a little bit of Freefold, so I think when I was giving you some of this data in our chat, I think maybe you were actually a little bit surprised at just how dominant they are because, you know, prior to this, Freefold were relatively skill capped right it was you had very good free folk players doing really well and that's not to say that the people overseas that made the top 10 you know with free folk that they're not good players but this is kind of like the first time that you've seen like just across the board so much power from free folk normally it's been like mickey (laughs) like mickey is the mickey is synonymous with strong free folk play i think what do you think, Dave? Um, I wasn't surprised that they did well and uh, like took the top spots. The only thing I was surprised with is how they just utterly showed up, took everyone's lunch money, and walked away with all the prize support. And I don't mean like walked away with it like they were the only ones that got prize support, but you know what I mean. They kind of walked in, showed everyone who was boss, and uh, and you know you had a little bit of everything else kind of sprinkled in. Um, so I was surprised at that level of dominance. Because, um, I, I mean, if you were to ask me, okay, who do you think is going to get first? I probably would have told you free folk. Uh, if you were to ask me how many free folk in the top uh, ten spots, I probably would have told you, like, three. Um, you know, but, you know, to this level yeah i i did not see that coming then again um you know i may be a very competitive player but 
Uh, I don't play TTS, and my group, because um, I do like travel to more competitive areas like ND and uh, Ohio, and I play those guys. Um, so I'm, and I play in a, a lot of the conventions, you know, Gen Con, uh, Adepticon, and so I know I'm a great, uh, a, like a great player. But as far as like on the world stage, um, I don't really know yet because I don't play TTS, um, and my my group uh, is a lot of more beginner-ish to like moderate players. Uh, for example, I'm actually the only person that I think even owns Free Folk um, out of like 30 people that are currently playing in my group. Um, so, and it has nothing to do with like power level or this or that. And I, and when I play them, it's like super rare. Usually it's, it's not even like my go-to. It's like, hey guys, what's everyone bringing? Because I like to bring what is not going to be used that day. And sometimes it's just like everything's represented, represented, um, except for free folk. And so, like, okay, I guess I'll pull out free folk because anyone by now knows that my number one hated thing in anything gaming related, card games, war games, anything. My number one hated thing is mirror matches. I hate facing whatever I'm playing. It doesn't matter how good it is. I just don't like it. <laughs> um, and maybe that's just like a weird quirk I have or something. But, um, but yeah, as far as like being surprised at uh, how well they did, uh, yes, definitely surprised at the level that they kind of just walked in and, you know, and took that many top spots. And, you know, because in my, in my prediction – people could just say, okay, well, yeah, they're easily the best faction, but you can deal with them in certain ways. And they took the top spots because it was really great players. Uh, I think these tournaments easily showed everyone that they're undisputed best faction. Uh, like, there is no arguing it. Like, there, there is no way you can even come close to arguing that this is not the most dominant faction uh, at the moment. And uh, I think that's sort of a good thing. I think because uh, I have a lot of faith in um, Simon and the developers and designers and all that, that when you have data this, like, um, solid, like, the, it makes their job easier, like, in my opinion. Like, they can take this data and be like, oh, yeah, well, yeah that's you're basically, I don't need to do any legwork. I don't even need to, like, try to figure out, okay, is this really broken or is people just complaining? Like, this is, you know, just show them, you know, you show them the page with the data on it, and they go, oh, yeah, all right, cool. Now, what you need to do to fix uh, or change uh, Free Folk, that is a little more of a complex part. But I think the, the first first step is always do they need to be changed and I think uh, these tournaments answered that question for them uh, without a doubt yeah I, I, I think so and I hope so um, it's, a, it's really nice to 
have this data readily available. It's, it's really nice to be able to see it, you know, publicly and, and not have to kind of dig for this data, you know, reach out to the TO and ask for it or just have some random post on Facebook that says, hey, here, here were the rankings. Um, it, it, it's a nice little it's, it's a nice little tool to have. Um, and with that said, I think I think we covered relatively what we wanted to do with Michael. So just for a little fun bit of, of, of tidbit, um, let's uh, let's pick your brain, Michael. As a, mm-hmm. you you play the game a lot, you play against every faction, you play a decent spread of factions. Let's just, uh, you know, it doesn't really mean anything, but we can just wish wish list for for the patch. Um, yep. Are you, are you hoping for, are you hoping that they continue with something like what season one was, where you had very little changes, um, very select tactics card changes, um, you know, and just a, a few reworks here and there? Are you... Are you as a com- as a competitive player, you know, and, and a, obviously a big fan of the game, are you wanting to see more of the same? Are you wanting to see more small changes, or do you think that um, some overhauls are in are in order? And and you can go first, and then we'll all give our opinion. No, I think it's better for the game to to make small changes because. Uh, if you are adding small change after small change, at, at the end it's like an exponential changes. And I think you you have to make small changes, but good small changes. I mean, you have to change what's the, of course, first of all the problems, and then maybe you can give some little tweak to things that, for example, they are completely useless or they are not used at all. And what. More than more or less, I would like to have patches uh, more frequently. Maybe six, seven months at best, but real six, seven months, not uh, one year. Like we are, uh, I don't know how we will have the next balanced patch, but I think it's ten months now. Uh, when was the last patch? In January. So it's gonna be ten months and maybe ten, eleven months, and I think the game start to starts to feel, uh, you know, uh, not dead but uh, stuck. Uh, after six, I think six, seven months is the mark when the meta is uh, is clear. You know the best list. You know what's the best. You know what what uh, what's working. So it makes the game fresh again and people get interested again because I think right now we are in the state of the game that people is losing interest to play like normal stuff and people starting to play with ELO tournaments, uh, negative uh, ELO units, uh, play lower commanders, you know, things that make the the normal game uh, less interesting for people who is uh, competitive like, like me and most of the uh, a lot of people just play casual but i think small changes are 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 good for the game but we need uh, the, the changes uh, to be made more frequently that's my my opinion
Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think the small-scale changes are definitely the way to go forward. I, I do think that the 2021 update was necessary. I think there's a little bit of contention about that still among some of the players that have played the game for a while. There's still people that feel like the total overhaul of the game was unnecessary. I I tend to disagree because I think I think the biggest problem with the 1.6 versions and all of the updates that we got at that point was um, it was going to be impossible to try to balance because you had such a disparity between decks that it was just there was I don't know that there was a whole lot you could do that that Stark deck from 1.6 on was just so powerful it was going to be almost impossible to balance the units that you release with with consideration to that deck um the ncu commander is very difficult to balance um you know things like this i think i think the one the 2021 change was was great and i think the season one change was even better i i like very few cards they reworked some baratheon cards because they were relatively weak and you know you had a few changes to Opal's cards and things like this and I, I think that was a very smart way of doing it just these small measured changes and let's see how it goes and for the most part it worked out I think I think in the defense of the developers you had the Martell release which was relatively recent I think that in a in a in a nice world that Martell release is enough to shake the meta up uh, you and I have talked at length about Martells. They are by far the best faction that we've ever seen just come right out of the gate swinging. I mean, they're they're not just swinging, they're competing, they're winning. They're beating, you know, these top-tier builds. I think the only thing that hindered Martells coming in and being that breath of fresh air that we need is just how powerful Mance is. Um, because every other faction has to adhere to Martells. But I don't think it changed enough of what Free Folk wants to do. It, I don't even think it really speed bumped them. I think they just glanced and it was like, oh, well, that's an inconvenience. Uh, they can score six points. <laughs> that, that's, more than, that's more than most people score against us. But as far as, oh, man, we have to totally, like we have to tech in Mance NCU, Mance's six-point NCU, we have to tech this into one of our lists to deal with Doran. Like that just didn't happen. That, that they're, The free folk are just that far above. And I think that's unfortunate. It probably, and, you know, it's an unintended consequence. I think Varamir was a very unfortunate release because of the power that he brought to free folk simply because of how nicely he rounds out their numbers and got them to 10 activations, still being able to have Torment. I think, above all, that's kind of like the low-key, stealthy, hidden issue with Varamir, is that he's three points. If he was four, those numbers don't work out as nicely. But the fact that you can bring Torment for Warcry, plug in Varamir, and now it's five, three, four, 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 four. <laughs> it kind of, you know, it made the numbers perfect what they wanted to achieve so i think martels are a great addition i think they have i think they've gotten people you know more motivated about the game the the looking for games the the number of games that are being played is higher because people are wanting to explore martels and then at the same time as as people are discovering what martels can do then you have the other people that maybe don't want to play martels have to start to figure out how to counter them so i think it was a really 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 nice time to drop Martell just 
you know, unfortunately, it didn't shake up the top enough. It shook up Night's Watch. <laughs> you know, if, if you're debating and you're saying Night's Watch are the number two big bad, like Night's Watch definitely has to be concerned about Martell's. So it did that. Just didn't didn't disrupt Manson Varamir quite enough to give us like this whole fresh new meta, um, which is what I think it would have done if Mance wasn't just a little bit too good. So um, what do you think, Dave? Uh, I think uh, so. Uh, which question? The one that you just asked, or are you talking about the original kind of question about? No, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just, just in general wish listing for this patch. You know, not going into specifics like like uh, you know. I hope Mance gets emboldened or something like that. Without going into specifics, like are you hoping that they continue with small changes and and monitoring it from there? Yeah, I'd agree with pretty much everything that you guys have said. I would say small changes, even with the results that um, we've seen with Three Folk, a lot of people have to realize that um, let's say let's say we give Free Folk a bunch of uh, nerfs, but then we give everything else buffs for the most part with a couple nerfs sprinkled in. Uh, it's not just like Free Folk going one direction. It's everything else going in one direction and Free Folk going in the opposite, which could then, you know, you could overshoot the mark. And like uh, like was suggested, I think uh, every six months, because I know they gave us the window of six to 12. I really think at this point, just drop every six. Um, and... With that said, just make, uh, you know, they don't always have to be as big of a change or a big uh, amount of stuff. Let's say six months, let's say, um, let's say they drop the update tomorrow. Okay. Six months from now, let's say they, by that time, have only come up with like one thing to change per faction, then just drop it. You know, drop it at six months. Every six months, do an update. Um, and some might be bigger than others, but you'll always at least have certain things that have that needed addressing be addressed at that time. Because I feel like some, I mean, this is just speculation, but I feel like sometimes they know things need to be changed, but they're waiting for X amount of other things so that they can release them all at once. I think just give yourself a six-month deadline um, and that six months, whatever's ready to be dropped is, you know, you drop those changes and then the other stuff might have to wait the next six months. So it might be technically 12 months before something might get changed, but you're always at least having an update every six um, rather than making certain things wait until everything else is ready. Um, I would say if anything though, free folk might need a couple more changes than any other faction, but I, what I mean by a couple is, I mean, you know, let's just say, for example, every faction gets like three changes, whether that be point costs, units, change in abilities, whatnot. So they might get like three per faction. I don't know. You give free folk like five. Uh, you know, something's still insignificant in the in the grand scheme of how much is being changed. Because um, as a whole, you know, changing three things uh, per faction might seem like a lot when you're like, okay, 24 things changed. But I mean, if you're only playing like one or two 
uh, factions yourself. I mean, to know that only like a handful of things really changed is not really a big deal in my opinion. Um, so, um, yeah, I, w I would leave it kind of at that, that, uh, you know, small changes are easily the way to go. Big changes um, leaves too much, uh, you know, potential for overshooting the mark. And then, you know, and then it becomes, uh, you know, pointless in a sense. Because like, if you overshoot the mark, then what was the point of the update? I guess the way I would see it. Yeah, I, I think... I think what you're referring to is what I like to call stealth nerf and stealth buff. So, you know, if you get rid of uh, a predator, then something that was on the fringe of being really good is now good. So if you also buff them without consideration to the fact that their predator took a hit, then they, they tend to overshoot. And I think I think some of that is what ended up happening with Mance and why Mance ended up where he's at. Um, I think you changed the Spearwives' ability to, you know, have all of that one-shot potential, but um, you also took away some things that Lannisters did with Poor Fellows, which was directly helping Free Folk. Um, you know, you, you, you did away with Drogo's Blood Riders being nigh unkillable and able to heal themselves infinitely off of, you know, things like free folk. And then when you adjusted that, now blood riders aren't as scary to free folk as they were before. So those are some of the kind of underlying stealth nerfs and buffs. Um, with that said, I think as far as the updates go, I, I'll stick with the developers a little bit here because I, I, I say it all the time, but I really don't envy their job. They are definitely 100% in a damned if you do and damned if you don't kind of situation, and I feel badly for them for that. Um, I think all of us have to kind of take a step back and, and regulate and check ourselves and realize that we are the more vocal minority. Um, we are the minority. We just talk more. <laughs> we're content creators. We're the loudest voices in the room. But if you look at the Facebook group, there's something like 11,000 players that play and they're on the Facebook page, you've probably got far less than 10% of that are very competitive players like we are. They're not tournament chasers. They're, they just set up and play, you know, maybe at the local game store once or twice a week. But they're not the people that are caring about what's winning big tournaments. They care about what's in their local meta and, and how their group functions within each other. So I think Simon has to not only balance the game, they not only have to balance everything in the game to the different skill levels, but you also have to balance what you do with the game to those different skill levels. And to some people, the updates every year are too much. You hear that on Facebook. And those people are entitled to that opinion just as much as competitive gamers are entitled to that opinion. There are just as for as many of us that are frustrated that we don't get a change every six months. There are that many that are frustrated that there's changes at all. They don't want to have to buy a new card pack. They don't want to have to print. They're also tired of it. So I don't envy the developers in that spot. It's got to be a constant juggling act because realistically we might be the force that, you know, helps push the community, uh, you know, where the content creators, people want to hear our opinion, but we're not 
and by far we are not the people that are keeping the game afloat financially, and it is a business at the end of the day. There are not enough competitive gamers in the world to float this game by themselves. They, the game will die. There's not, they won't have enough sales. They won't have incentive to push new products because we're not spending the money that um, House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones fans are spending to play this game that's based on that. And so that's something that has to be considered for the developers. They don't want to get under the skin of the people that just play more casually. But most importantly, they don't – if you do an update every six months, you don't want to give – you know, the potential newcomers, you don't want to give them this perception that uh, this is just a game they can't balance. They have to change it every six months. Obviously, there's there's balancing issues. Ten out of ten don't recommend buying into this game because whatever you buy and paint come invalidated. And that's just the reality of it. So I'm, I'm happy with the way that they've done the patches now. I know that I get frustrated, but I'm, I'm willing to live with that, with my own frustration, to keep this game alive because we we're not enough to keep the game alive we have to have those those you know beer and pretzel guys those kitchen table gamers those uh filthy casuals we call them and i don't mean that in a negative way at all they're absolutely the backbone of the game so i want to add real quick um one thing i think would be great if uh simon kind of stole from uh and i say stole, you know, as more of like a joke, but um, an idea that uh, Conquest does, uh, or Parabellum does with their game Conquest is um, all of their unit cards have QR codes that will bring you to the most update updated rule set. And I think if they started doing something like that, uh, it would really help with a lot of newer players that kind of like buy stuff and then they're like, well, now I'm confused because now I have to, you know, do, uh, buy the card pack and then I also have to go on um, online and find the updated card uh, stuff. Uh, so I think, um, I don't know, maybe I'll shoot. So, uh, not that I have. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just going to interrupt you because this was actually something that I noticed when I unboxed my Martell. They essentially did that. When I opened up my Martell box, there was a little pamphlet in there that directed uh, the, the buyer to the War Council app, which the War Council app is free, and, of course, it will have the most updated stuff. Now, pending, you know, a month or maybe a month after they do a, an update before it gets into the app, but for the most part, the War Council app is your source, and the fact that they stick that little pamphlet in the boxes now I think is a really fantastic idea, um, and it wouldn't really hurt if they stuck it in every unit box as well, just as a reminder for everyone to you know, download that app. It's free, and here's your updated rules. Um, I think it also might have directed them to the Facebook page. I can't 100% remember because I don't have that pamphlet, but I know for a fact there was a slip of paper that directed the buyer to the War Council app. Lies. All lies. <laughs> I bought Just saying, to... it was a really smart idea. It was a really... It, it's subtle, if but it, I, if I they think did, that was a great idea. If they did, uh, which I'll take your word for it, I think, yes, that would be... That would kind of cover everything I just said. Um, maybe... I don't know. 
maybe because I've opened up so many starters, that was my own fault. But I would say that assuming that it wasn't, I don't know anyone that anyone that's listening, definitely comment uh, in our Discord or on one of our posts. Let me know if you saw that paper because I believe that Brett is right that that paper's in there. But I think if a lot of people didn't notice it was in there, maybe uh, maybe something a little more that pops at you. Um, or even like a, an article that reminds people, I don't know, something. Because I, I opened up two Martell starters and I, I didn't notice that paper. I must have just like tossed it in the garbage <laughs> or something. Well, but yes, that that would definitely cover what I'm talking about. That would definitely, um, you know. Another little tidbit, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, friend of the show, all-around good guy, uh, everybody loves him. Fabio's name is now on the Martell box. I don't know if you noticed that. Some of the other starters were Michael Chennault and Eric Lang, and now it's Michael Chennault and Fabio. So really cool for our, our good guy, Fabio, there. Yep. Yeah, I uh, um, told him once I get my box, I'm going to have to have him sign it or something. Because I have two, uh, I have a Free Folk and a Night's Watch uh, starter box, both signed by Michael from uh, Adepticon 2019. All right. Well, I'm all finished. Do you do you have any do you have any closing thoughts, Michael? Um, anything else you want to add? Any final tips before we send off? Because we're pushing about an hour and a half here. No, I just wanted to thank you for inviting me. And hope to see you next time. That we were talking about more more stuff and more song. Uh, yeah. Uh, hope to see you in TTS and maybe who knows in real life someday somehow. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make that trip abroad at some point. There's there's no doubt about it. So I'm sure I'll catch up with you there. Yes, that will be great. All right. All right, so, Dave, you send us off. Yep. So with all that said, I want to thank everyone who has listening in. I, again, apologize for our, like, two-week break. I think it's, like, the longest break we've ever taken, um, you know, and that was mostly my fault. Um, I just had a lot of stuff kind of come up. Uh, but like I said, we're going to try to do, like, two shows this week and two next week, if possible, uh, try to keep on track um, with how many shows we do, you know, at least once once a week, um, especially we're coming on, I think, like our three-year anniversary uh, for the show, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And we have like 100 and I think at this point, because we do one a week, uh, two days, or 52 weeks in a year, so we're coming on 150 episodes. So definitely uh, stay tuned for that. And like I said, we have I have a bunch of stuff that I want to give away and, um, you know, and give out as prize support uh, to, to our listeners. Um, it will involve um, liking our page if you haven't already. So if you have already liked our page, you know, obviously you need to re-like it. But uh, if you are one of those listeners that have not liked our Facebook page, definitely uh, go do it now. 
Um, that way you don't have to worry about it later. Uh, but uh, the I'll only be drawing winners from uh, those that have liked the Facebook page and um, maybe some other uh, stipulation, but I'll give more details when uh, when the time comes. Um, but I definitely appreciate all of you. Um, we don't have like a Patreon or anything, so the number one thing you can do to help support us is just share out the show. You know, word of mouth. Let you know your group that you play with know about us. Uh, you can find us on Blog Talk Radio Live. Um, otherwise, if you can't make the live show. We are on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Altail, um, PodBay, and uh, some other site. I don't know. It's like 10 or 12 of them. <laughs> so, and then if there's any site uh, that you want us to uh, mirror our content to because you don't have any of those, let us know. Uh, I think we're still working on like iHeartRadio, and uh, that was suggested to us. Um, so definitely uh send us any um any site that you would you would like your show show on, uh you would like to listen to us on um now we're not looking to add our show to anything that people aren't going to listen to us on so um not really looking for recommendations to just be on everything but if that's the site you want to listen to us on I'd be more than happy to uh to mirror the content over there so again uh, thank you all. Uh, definitely check out those tournaments. Uh, like I said, our monthly tournament is um, Mount Prospect, Illinois, second Saturday every month. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, and I can give you all the details that way, um, or uh, you you could probably find the event on Facebook as well. Uh, we are not on stats yet. It's definitely a conversation that I've been talking with uh, with my locals a little bit more about. Because I would like to start doing it, uh, especially if we're going to start getting bigger crowds, you know, of 12, 14 people um, or more, if you know, if we're lucky and we can coordinate everyone to show up uh, at the same time. Um, I would love to start doing it on stats. So uh, once we start doing that, uh, you'll also do, be able to find us there. Um, Brett, did you have any shout-outs? Um, no, of course, just um, the general shout-out, uh, content creators, always support your content creators. Um, nobody's getting rich off of making a Song of Ice and Fire content. Uh, we do it, every single one of them does it for the love of the game. Um, we're just here to try to help you guys out, give you different takes, different perspectives, try to bridge the community from overseas and, and whatever else the intent of the podcast is. So uh, whenever you get an opportunity to listen, just have a listen. It doesn't hurt to have a different opinion. It might open your eyes to something you hadn't thought before. Uh, I think our expert Greyjoy player, Michael here, maybe he gave you some ideas on how to tackle Greyjoys. Um, never hurts to hear a bunch of different opinions. So check out those content creators, support them where you can not necessarily always about money. It's just word of mouth. If you like what they had to say, tell your friends. Yep. And thank you so much for uh, coming on. I appreciate uh, both of you uh, for taking the time, you know, making this show possible. Uh, I could not do it without uh, all my co-hosts, 
you know, if if it wasn't for them, uh, to be totally honest, I probably wouldn't do it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not really the one, the the type the, to want to kind of talk into a mic all by myself. Um, so thank you, thank you both, thank uh, thank all our guests and and my co-hosts. So stay tuned tonight. Like I said, we're going to try to do another episode, uh, probably me and Cyrus to go over the Brathian stuff. Um, you know, and we'll, uh, we'll see you guys then. Thank you. Thank you all. still here.